Hello and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. Today, I'm joined as always by Greg. Hello! And we will be reviewing Kingdom Builder. But before that, let's talk about some tales from the tabletop. Yeah, so rather than board games this weekend, I had a chance to play in a bunch of different RPGs. So Saturday was our very first session of Starfinder, which was super exciting. I don't know who all was able to catch that on our stream. If you like, you can check out the YouTube video right now. But it was a lot of fun. So it was myself, Harrison, William, and William's roommate, Greg, who were the players. And Jacob was GMing. And it it was really interesting. We opened in sort of an action sequence. Yep, yep. Which, it was in media res. Uh, yeah, there you go. That's the term. It was an action sequence with surprisingly little, little mechanical action. Yeah. I, I was I was going for more of a kind of narrative action sequence because we knew what the result was going to be. Exactly. I, I don't think that we really needed to figure out what the actual roles were to get there. It was just like, you know, this is the narrative of how we begin this campaign. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. And I, I thought it worked. I thought it worked to get all of you in one place. So for those of you who, who hadn't tuned in, what it was is pretty much three of our characters, the characters played by Greg, Harrison, and William, were running away because Greg and William had been almost sold into slavery on this one planet. It's very bad news. Our android friend, Indigo Stars, who was played by Harrison, saved them. And then... They all just pretty much booked it to Harrison's ship. Mm -hmm. And uh, we arrived on the ship, booted it up, and took off, Mm -hmm. headed for off-planet. Little did we realize that the other Greg, who was playing sort of like a customs agent inspector type person, happened to be on the ship at that exact moment (laughs) conducting an inspection. So he is freaking out. He's like, what the hell is going on? Yep. And goes up to the bridge and confronts us and is like, what the hell are you doing? Uh, and that that's the story of how we met. That's how I met your mother. And it, I don't know, it felt interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, it, it wasn't your typical, you find yourself in Yon Star Tavern yeah, exactly. type of opening. Um, and so I think that was a lot of fun. I think it is possibly going to be interesting in terms of what keeps us together or doesn't keep us together as the case may be greg Um, to continue the story we ended up jumping off course we found a derelict ship which was from we estimate from a time period called the gap which is essentially a massive period of history where all written records have been scrambled all memories have been erased Mm-hmm. And no one knows exactly why. And so to find a ship, an actual physical vessel from this era, is quite remarkable. And it just so happens that Harrison's character, Indigo Stars, is an archaeologist, a space a xeno-archaeologist. And this was of, of tremendous importance and value and interest to him. So uh, we dug around a little bit. We poked around. We kind of found some information, some terminals, some identifying information that allowed us to figure out who these people were or at least Mm -hmm. what race they were yep and then brought that back to absalom station which is sort of the hub of the galaxy yeah and all of this led to three of the characters (laughs) everyone except for me who is in way over his head and has no idea how to even spell archaeology uh (laughs) looking for ways to maximize either their own personal profit Mm -hmm. or their uh, academic prestige 
by exploiting the knowledge of the location of this particular derelict. So Greg's character, the customs agent, uh, connected with some of his less reputable peers <laughs> and arranged to have our ship impounded and slipped away himself to go secure access to the treasure, which is a pretty crummy thing for a party member to do, <laughs> Greg. In the first session. In the first session, no less. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it'll be it'll be interesting. I like that it kept me on my toes. Yeah. And I'm looking very much forward to exploring the setting more. My character's on a pilgrimage to the Burning Archipelago. Yep. Which is a, a series of cities in the sun, mm -hmm. which is particularly interesting. He follows a cult of the sun goddess Saren Ray. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see which twists and turns that journey takes. And I'm very excited. Jacob is a very competent GM. Thank you. So I, I'm excited to see what he has in store for us. It'll be interesting. It's interesting, first of all, that you already, you guys, quote unquote, explored the vessel. You went up to the bridge and left the bridge. Yes, that's correct. You're not wrong. Um, I The only defense I have is that my own character's curiosity mm -hmm. was uh, satisfied. Yes. I cannot yeah. speak for anyone else. No, that's true. That's uh, Your your character, is, that's very true. I was just very surprised that, that, was, that everyone else, especially when I mentioned certain things in the other parts of the ship that I thought may be of interest. Right, yeah. Um, you know. Like sealed vaults and, oh, there's these things. But, I mean, I think it piqued some people's interest in terms of the other Greg wanting to go back. and Right, yeah. I know. think maybe you had always intended for us to go there. And obviously the Shroud of GM-ness means that we may never know. But for what would seem like just a throwaway ship, mm -hmm. I think this may become a pretty important fixture of the next like four or five levels for us. May well become one. We will see. <laughs> Though I will say that, uh, so I haven't played a 3.5-ish like system in a while. Mm -hmm. And I was amazed at actually how much everyone was adding to their dice. Their I, it's funny that you say that because I was actually also quite amazed at that. We had, you know, people adding 12, 8 and 10 and 12 to their roles, yeah. which... My character personally is built for combat, not yeah. for skills, and so mm -hmm. I suspect that may have something to do with it. But my highest skill bonus is a seven, and that's on athletics. Yeah. So, like, that's sort of the range of things that I'm thinking about. And so mm -hmm. to see these characters who are really, like, you know, bluff masters and, and stealth and sleight of hand and all those sorts of things, adding higher than 10 to their roles was yeah. quite surprising, even though I do know that, you know, Starfinder as a system has scaled the power up considerably. You know, you, you gain access to higher numbers quicker. The ability score increases that you get every four levels net mm -hmm. you like up to eight points yeah. spread out across four different attributes. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a very high power system, but I didn't expect it to be this high power at first level. Yeah, I was I was actually not really fully prepared for that. Like, you know, I have a scale that I usually use in terms of difficulty, like, you know, how difficult something is to do mm -hmm. pretty much calibrated for 3.5 and 5e right because those are the systems that i use the most and have used but this was just like if you're adding a plus 12 to something like the difficulty of that means that like you know if you if even if you get like an eight like you were already at a 20 yeah which is like according to i believe the chart in 3.5 D, &D mm -hmm. that's like a hard yeah. dc and even I think in in this chart as well, like I, I have to really look into it because 
that seems very very powerful yeah and almost difficult to balance in terms of like you know or, or at least difficult to like think about as a dm like what the difficulty should be for something like where normally like, i do think like a 20 would be a really pretty hard difficulty mm-hmm. now i have to start thinking like if i want something to be really hard at least 25 yeah like if not even like 27 yeah and it's it's interesting to see how it scales up i think one other thing that you might consider is just forcing us into situations where you know because they're not one trick ponies yeah these guys but they have a limited repertoire oh yeah of of skills that they're really great at and so you just force Mm -hmm. us into situations where those aren't applicable you know someone gets someone administers a veritaserum yeah. And, you know, they can't bluff anymore mm-hmm. or put them into a situation where they're not dealing with people that can be reasoned with. Oh, uh, yeah. No, stuff the, like I, I have I definitely have a lot of ideas. It's, it's just like something that surprised me about the system, just based on my history in terms of like RPGs and that kind of stuff. It was it was interesting. I, I definitely think that it'll be a fun thing to run. I'm looking forward to more sessions and just seeing where you guys go. Yeah, same. Um, and just what happens in all of this, because I do have a bit of a story in mind, but at the same time, I love to play off of the players rather than just like have my story and be like, you guys are doing this. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be a lot of fun. And I hope that you guys will join us. Yeah. Every other Saturday we'll be, uh, we'll be playing Starfinder. So come check us out on Twitch. We're on YouTube as well. Mm-hmm. We look forward to having you. And of course, feel free to throw out any sort of, uh, scenarios that you want jacob to put us in that's always fun oh yeah that's fun tweet at me you know send me something i'll take a look and see if i can surprise them with some very interesting there you go that's true i'm i don't use my twitter so if you suggest something for jacob on twitter there's a reasonable chance i won't have any idea about it exactly there we go and well there you go that's a look at the tales from the tabletop house carl attend me Yes, my liege. How much has our kingdom generated in taxes this month? Well, my liege, it has only been about 27 gold this season. What? But last month it was 84. The fishermen, as well as the farmers, have moved on, and they have been replaced by the messengers and the explorers. What? But we haven't built for messengers and explorers. Ah, cursed you, replayability! And, well, that is the essence of Kingdom Builder. It really is. So Kingdom Builder is a very Euro game. I mean, you've got like pieces that you put on the board, score points. And the way that you do that is fundamentally through some very, very easy mechanics. First, you set up the board. You take literally any four pieces of the board and put them together into a rectangle. There you go. They can fit in any way, pretty much, as long as they are a... You know, longer than tall kind of uh, rectangle. And all the the pieces, they don't have to like be in any specific order. They don't have to like fit in any shapes or anything like that. Nope, put them down. And then first player goes, they draw a terrain card. That's the terrain that they are allowed to place on. They take three of their settlements, parts of the kingdom. Boom, boom, boom. Place those. That is their turn. That's it. Yeah. At, at its most fundamental level, that is how you play the game. The game is over. When one person runs out of settlements, uh, yep. you finish the round, and then everybody scores points. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a little bit more to that, yes. because all of these rules can get, not broken, 
but bent a yep. little bit by various aspects of the game. So to start with, the settlements. Yep. Each turn, you get to place three settlements onto one particular terrain type. Mm -hmm. That never changes. Yeah. But across the map, about one to two per section, mm -hmm. there are special spaces that give you access to different tiles, special tiles, that you can use to add extra settlements to the board or move your settlements around mm -hmm. or do some other thing that isn't normally allowed by the game. And so yeah. these allow you to change up your strategy a little bit access the board in new different ways mm -hmm. and so one of the big parts of the game is moving around and claiming access to the ones of those that you think are going to be most useful for your strategy and even though they have these different abilities they still most of the time have a fundamental rule like when you place the settlements you're not allowed to just say place you know all right i'm going to place one in this forest one in this forest and one in this forest like on three different tiles Whenever possible, you have to place your settlement adjacent to a settlement that you already have placed. Exactly. So your first move of the game can usually pretty much be any of those types of terrain. So like if you drew a canyon, it could be any canyon on the board. If you drew a grassland, same thing. But then after that, if let's say you placed a few pieces on the grassland and one of them was bordering a flowered tile and then you drew flowers you have to place it adjacent to that one. Right, so you can build in ways that limit your ability to spread out, essentially, mm -hmm. which sometimes is good and yeah. sometimes is bad because the victory conditions change every single game. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the game, you're shuffled together all of the victory conditions, and then you deal out three random ones, and that's how you score points. So these typically revolve around ways that you arrange your settlements. So points for having the most settlements on forests yeah. or points for having the most number of settlements on a particular section of the board or the longest contiguous distance between two of your settlements things like that mm -hmm. and these change every single game which can dramatically change what you want to do how you want to do it and when you want to do it exactly so you know there are sometimes that certain tiles can be extremely useful uh, placing next to a certain tile might be like, the ideal optimal first game move when you have a certain victory condition versus other ones it could be something completely different like you want to be on a different side of the board you want to be at a different tile or even just not near a tile at all mm -hmm. and that's i think one of the cool parts of kingdom builder in general a the fact that every time you play you have a different combination of victory conditions because you are supposed to like put them out and do it at random, shuffle all of them together. So it's based on the number of different victory conditions, it's very difficult to actually have any doubles. Right. Well, and especially in, so it's worth noting that the times that Jacob and I have played this, mostly we've been working with the giant Queen Games big box edition that they yes. released that includes four expansions and three miniature expansions. Mm-hmm almost all of which add new victory conditions to the game. So you've got, you know, this stack of, I would say, probably two, maybe three dozen victory cards. Yes. Of which you're only ever going to see three in a single game. So that definitely sort of changes the scale. In the base game, I believe there are 10 different mm -hmm. victory conditions. Something along those lines. So it is a little bit more likely that you end up with games that revolve around some of the same kinds of strategies. But it's still the permutations in the sections of the map, mm -hmm. the different special tiles that are accessible, the cards that you draw win, 
each of those will influence your strategy so that each game is i'm just thinking of this now but it is almost like playing a strategy game on the computer it's like playing a game of civ yeah you know you can have the fundamentals in place you're always going to be using the same mechanics mm-hmm. but the map is different the access yeah. that you have to special tiles to resources is going to change mm-hmm. and your your considerations are going to change based on what the available victory conditions are one of my favorite parts is that the sections themselves can be put together just about in any way and that means that the terrain is different every time you play and also each section has a slightly different number of special spaces so mm-hmm. you know you have kind of the gold ones which we mentioned that have those special abilities Whenever you place one of your settlements next to it, you will get one of those abilities. You can place multiple settlements next to a single like gold space, but you still only get the benefit of that once. Right. You also have silver spaces, which mostly give you benefits at the end of the game. So Usually. the basic ones are the cities. They give you three points at the end of the game if you have at least one settlement adjacent to them. Mm-hmm. There are other ones, like the silo, for example which gives you a benefit of actually being able to move your settlements or place additional settlements at the end of the game. And then the very interesting one that was added in one of the expansions is the nomads, which are actually something that happens during the game that's like a one-time use tile that you have to use the turn after you get it that allows you to place or do something extremely special. Yeah. And they're very powerful, but they're also very limited use on like a regular special tile. It's a one and done. Exactly. So that's that's interesting to see the ways that the expansions add to the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I actually appreciate playing it with a lot of the expansions because yeah. one of the things that I've observed about this game is that most of the special tiles fit into one of two categories. Either they allow you to put a new settlement down from your inventory mm-hmm. on a particular type of terrain, yep. or they allow you to move settlements already on the field according to certain conditions. Move it in a straight line, move it so that it ends on a pasture, something like mm-hmm. that, which is good from the perspective of you know sort of consistency and, and making sure that nothing gets out of hand in terms of game balance. Yeah. But it also does lead to a little... The game's a little boring. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. I'm dancing around it, but that's the the truth. That's the way it feels, is that sometimes the game feels a little bit boring. And I think the expansions move in a direction of spicing things up a bit. You know, one of the expansions, the Crossroad expansion, includes some really interesting tiles. You've got the Lighthouse Mm -hmm. special tile, which gives you access to a boat that can move across the water and give you access to normally inaccessible terrain. You've got the Minecart, which does the same thing for mountains. And so you've got these little flashes of of more interesting aspects of gameplay but even in the expansions a lot of the special tiles follow the same paradigm and i guess i kind of wish that they had done more i I wish that they had done more interesting things with fewer types of things yeah it definitely has a little bit of a repetitiveness uh in in the nature of the game because it, it fundamentally is that same game like we said draw a card place settlements mm-hmm. that's it the, the the differences are in the extra things that you can do whether it's movement whether it's adding new settlements or other things like that and those can be pretty limited for the most part but there can be some interesting permutations on them 
uh, you know, using an extra tile one more time and that lets you add an extra thing or would be interesting to actually check the rule book on this, but I think it would be allowed if you were, if you managed to luck into having that extra use with a nomad uh, tile. Oh, uh, wow. That you could just like pretty much just put a lot of uh, things on the board if you, if you really wanted to. Mm-hmm. But that's another thing that actually, you know, normally it's good. You're trying to like get everything on the board and all that. But you really have to think about the strategy of when and where you put those. There is a surprising depth of strategy in the game, yeah. Because a large part of it is just about how you want to use your very limited resources. Because as soon as you're done, you're done. There are no like extras, there's nothing else. You place all of your settlements, you're done. Mm -hmm. And you have to balance the, I want to place them before anyone else so that I can get more on the board, with the... I don't want to place in this space or, you know, this forest is going to really, is going to force me to place, if I do draw a desert tile, it's going to force me to place some adjacent to here. I don't want that. I want to have the freedom of like moving somewhere else, Mm -hmm. but I don't really have any other abilities right now to do that. So I'm not going to use this, or I just got this special tile that lets me place on a certain terrain and I want to use that next turn. So I'm going to save my additional settlements for that. Right, yeah, there's there's some really interesting considerations, especially if you take sort of a step back and look at the whole board mm-hmm. and think about what the objectives are that you're trying to accomplish and what the most effective routes to get there are, because yeah. it may not mean just flooding the board with your settlements. Mm-hmm. You know, strategically gaining access to new types of terrain or strategically limiting yourself yeah. so that if you end up drawing a grassland, you can place a new settlement on a grassland across the map rather than being at the one adjacent to where you would have placed that final forest tile, for example. So there's some interesting considerations there, but the game is still, I think, accessible enough Mm -hmm. that you can have a relatively level playing field even if you're not thinking on that level. And I think that's, that's definitely a mark in its favor. Oh, I completely agree. But as we always like to say, no game is perfect. That's right. We mentioned earlier, or I mentioned earlier, how I found it a little bit frustrating that many of the tiles were uninspired. Mm -hmm. And I think going a step further with that, the game itself feels a little bit repetitive to me. You know, we we can talk about replayability and sort of different permutations and, and changing up the game, but the way that I described this earlier was that every game is different. Mm-hmm. But every game feels the same. And that's not exactly true. But at the end of the day, you're using a lot of the same strategies. You're just approaching it in a slightly different way. Okay, this time I want to be close to mountains. Okay, next time I want to be on as many forests as possible. It's it's basically just because the mechanics are so simple, it can feel like there's not enough there. So it's its greatest strength almost is it's one of its drawbacks. Yeah, I, I can see that. Uh, I think in general, like, really, the changes in the victory conditions really, really help with that, for me anyway. Right. Especially when you have, you know, when you compare certain ones, so something like the messenger's condition, which is how far apart are your two furthest settlements? And then they have to be contiguous for that matter. So, you know, you, you need to have a long, straight line of settlements. Versus there there are other ones that say like, you know, how many distinct settlements do you have? Mm-hmm. And so that, that really does fundamentally almost change the way that you play. Yeah, I think that's fair. And to me, I, I think it just feels like it's it's 
icing on the cake as opposed to the substance of the game itself. So yeah. that's that's my observation. Of course. You can you're welcome to to disagree. <laughs> yeah. But along with all this, like, we've been talking a lot about like all these special tiles and all that kind of stuff. And this is, I think, particularly if you're playing with more than one expansion. Mm, yeah. The the rule book can be a bit confusing-ish and definitely overwhelming for a first time like, yeah. player. So, I mean, when Greg picked up the rule book when we were going through and I hadn't played for a while, I was cooking and he was going through and, and learning the game. He was just like getting frustrated by the fact that there were like so many rules. There's so much in here and it really is an intimidating rule book. I think it's like, I don't know, somewhere around like 25, 30 pages. And there are so many special rules, like, you know, each tile is a different rule. And if you just look at that, it is very intimidating. Yeah. And I do think you're you're absolutely right. This is mostly a problem with the big box edition. Mm-hmm. I think the base game itself doesn't have a lot of these problems. But yeah. when you've got a game that can reasonably be packaged, and I think is probably best yeah. packaged this way, that's a very real consideration. If you have people who've never played it before who are buying it, mm-hmm. there's going to be a lot of overwhelming aspects of this rulebook yeah. because they don't necessarily have the knowledge that core gameplay is so straightforward mm-hmm. and then you're just adding things to it. They're going to be looking at this with sort of a perspective of, oh my gosh, all of these things are different rules that I have to add? Holy crap. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it can be a bit much to just like first impressions of, of the game. Yeah, definitely. So taking all of this together, looking at a rating, I think for me, it's a play it. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, it's a well-designed game. I think it's it's got great replayability. It's got great accessibility, as long as you've got someone there to explain to you that the rules aren't terrifying. <laughs> but it just, it lacks that really special quality mm-hmm. that makes a game good enough for me to buy. I can totally understand that, and I actually think I'm going to echo that. I'm also going to say play it. I was really on the fence between play it and buy it. I think the fundamentals of the game are great. Mm-hmm. And if you are starting a board game collection and want some beginner games, this would be a good one to like you know, use as an intro game, intro to Euro games. If you don't want to use something like Catan or other things like that, I think this would be a really good game for that purpose. But from the point of view of like you know having a long-term game collection, that kind of stuff, I don't know if this is a game that I would bring to table all too often because the gameplay is a little bit too simplistic. This is a game that it takes a little bit too long to set up in order to be a filler game, but it has almost the feel of a filler game. Mm -hmm. So I like it and I'm glad that I have it, but I would say in general, if you know anyone who has it, just play their version. Well, there you go. That's our review of Kingdom Builder. Before we go, as usual, we're going to give you a couple of recommendations, games that we think are similar enough that you'd enjoy them if you liked Kingdom Builder or vice versa. The first one that comes to mind is Ticket to Ride. You've got a lot of similar considerations, similar constraints in particular. You're limited by the cards that you have access to. You're going to be limited by the actual physical trains that you Mm -hmm. possess. You know, that's the game end condition. And each time the game state is going to be a little bit different. It's not quite as variable as kingdom builder so maybe if that's something that you want toned down from kingdom builder check out ticket to ride whereas if you want a little bit more randomness a little bit of chaos maybe Mm -hmm. check out kingdom builder if you like ticket to ride 
Another one is actually one of my favorite games, and that is Carcassonne. And uh, this one also has a very, very important placement aspect. You're placing the tiles and your meeples rather than just the settlements. So it has a little bit more and you're, you're growing the area a bit more. The way that the placements work and the way that you have to be very strategic about where to place certain things and how to use the board to your advantage almost is very similar to how you would use the board to your advantage in Kingdom Builder. The mechanics are different and there isn't really as much of the vari variable victory conditions, but at the same time, they really, really do have a similar feel. And also, both Ticket to Ride and Carcassonne are pretty good beginner games, gateway games for people just like Kingdom Builders. So check those out, and we'll see you next time. Thank you very much for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope you enjoyed our review of Kingdom Builder. Don't forget, we stream twice a week. Don't forget to join us next week when Leslie will be taking point for a special episode recognizing women in gaming.